In the beginning, you created everything. Your hands hold every inch of the galaxies in place. You built a world that shouts for its creator. You custom built me to be exactly who I am. Nothing more, nothing less. And my favorite part of it all is that you have always loved me, and you always will. Hey, good morning, Forest Park. Great to see you today. Happy Mother's Day to all of our moms. We're so honored you have chosen to come and be a part of Forest Park today. We're beginning a brand new series I'm excited about called Wonder. We're going to jump into that series in just a moment as we kick it off. I do want to welcome everyone watching online, no matter where you are. We're glad you're here, whether you're here physically or virtually. Hopefully you've got something to write with today, or maybe you've got your phone out ready to take some notes. If you're interested in knowing, you can go to fplive.app, fplive.app, and you'll see message notes there. You can click it, and then you can take notes inside uh, the app there for yourself. You can, I believe you can email it to yourself, whatever you want to do, and hopefully you'll find that uh, user-friendly. We're going to get a little deep today in our message, and the first service, I know this uh, because I already went through one of the services. That was our early service. They were, they were not completely awake, but you guys, you, this is the second service. You guys are wide awake. You've had plenty of coffee. You're ready to roll, okay? So we're going to want to take some notes today. You're going to want to get the information I give you. Hey, before we jump into part one of our new series, why do we do what we do at Forest Park? What's our mission? Why do we come, give, get in groups, go in outreach, everything we do and say? Our mission statement is easy uh, to remember, uh, pretty profound when you think about it, but it's easy to recite. Help people follow Jesus one step at a time. We want to come alongside every single person and help them take their next step. We believe at Forest Park everybody has a next step. It doesn't matter if you've been following Jesus for a week or you've been following Jesus for years, you have a next step. I have a next step and we want to come alongside you, help you discover what that is and then help you take it. All right, let's jump into part one of our series, Wonder. If you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, and especially if you've been a Christian for a number of years, maybe even for most of your life, I am talking specifically to you today. Now, everybody, of course, is welcome to uh, pay attention. Maybe you are new to the faith, or maybe you're just here today to kind of check church out. Maybe you're considering becoming a Christian. Maybe you're just here because it's Mother's Day and you're passing through. I don't know. But I'm specifically talking to those of you who have been a Christian for a number of years. And here's how I want to begin. I want to ask you a question, okay? Do you remember what it was like when you first came to faith? I do. If those of you who know my story know I made a profession of faith when I was six years old. Our church was having an outside service in the evening, and I attended with my family, and I still remember it almost as if it happened just a couple or three weeks ago. I was standing there with my grandmother. Uh, the person who was preaching the message got to the end of his message and invited people down front who wanted to make a profession of faith. And for whatever reason, I, you know, reasons I can't really explain even today, I just felt this sense of I need to go. I, I felt this pull. I felt this drawing that I needed to respond. And 
and I looked up at my grandmother, and I said, can I go down front? And she said, of course you can, and she walked me down the little dirt aisle, and I went down uh, to the front, and I made a profession of faith to the best of my ability when I was six years old. And I remember walking uh, into our house after we got back from the service that evening, going immediately to my room and picking up a Bible and trying to read it. Now, I couldn't read very much at six, but I had this euphoria. I had this thrill. I had this um, excitement inside of me to read the Bible because I knew based on just attending church that the Bible was important and that you needed to read it. So I can still see myself sitting on the edge of my little bed and thumbing through the Bible. I couldn't read it, but I wanted to. And I asked my mom questions and my grandmother questions. And it was just a, an exciting time in my life. Of course, the honeymoon, or you may say childlike innocence, wore off in a few days. And of course, I went on with you know the rest of my six-year-old life. The next several years were interesting. My parents divorced, my mom remarried, uh, went into middle school and then high school and all the normal ups and downs of any average American teenager. And my faith remained important to me because my family attended church every single weekend. And I went to every you know, children's church that was offered in the different churches we attended. I went to every youth group. I went to you know, the camps and all the different things that were offered. And it was important to me. God was still at the center of my family's life, so God was somewhat at the center of my life. But the thrill and the excitement and the euphoria just was, it wasn't there. And then I went to college. I surrounded myself with college-age men and women who were excited about their faith, um, and I experienced a spiritual renewal, a huge spiritual renewal. I mean, I, I was filled with passion and excitement and, and commitment, in fact, so committed that I knew that I was going to enter into ministry and began to train for that. And um, I couldn't read the scriptures enough. I mean, I devoured them. I read through books of the Bible probably 10, 15 different times. I couldn't go to church enough. I couldn't share my faith enough. I just wanted everybody to experience what I was experiencing. And that new euphoria, that new wonder, if you will, lasted for five or six years, and then it began to crash and burn around me. I lost my desire for scripture, for prayer, for church, for worship, for really anything. I kept going through the motions I kept attending church. I kept reading the Bible to the best of my ability. I, I kept praying, but the fun and the wonder and the excitement, not there. Of course, within my culture, and if you grew up in the kind of culture, religious culture I did, I immediately blamed myself. I just assumed I was doing something wrong. I wasn't humble enough. I wasn't uh, virtuous enough. I was sinning. I wasn't praying enough. Something I was doing was keeping this wonder, this excitement, this euphoria at bay. So I began to do an internal search, and I began to ask more questions and began to, you know, really hunker down and pray more and read more and try harder and all the different things that kind of came with that, that culture in which I was raised. Uh, it worked. I began to experience more renewal. I began to experience more excitement. I began to experience personal revival and I devoured scripture again and prayed more and got back in you know church every week and excited and then it wore off too, and then I went back down again into this divot, into this dark period, and I didn't know where the wonder was. Now, the reason I took you on that little journey is because I know for certain there are people gathered in this room, there are people watching, whether you're at home or wherever you are, and that's your story. 
If you've been following Jesus for a number of years, if you've considered yourself a Christian and you have been for most of your life, you have these cycles in your life. Now, they might not be as dramatic as me. Everybody's personality is different. Everybody's story is different. The details of my life certainly are not the same details of your life. But no doubt, you go through these times where your wonder is up here and your excitement, and then you go through times where you look around and you go, where's God? What's going on? Why don't I seem excited? Why isn't my passion there? You've experienced the excitement of your faith and you have experienced the crash, if you will, of that same faith. And if that's you, even if there's just one person sitting in this room and you're saying, man, he is speaking to me right now, I want you to listen to me very carefully, okay? I'm going to take what I've learned over 30 plus years, I'm going to do the best I can to give this to you in just a few minutes, all right, and save you a lot of pain and save you a lot of agony. You are not broken, you are not flawed, you are not abnormal, You are exactly like every single person who ever starts out on a spiritual journey and you are experiencing the ups and downs of a faith journey. And I have seen it over the 20 years that I've been here at Forest Park in hundreds of people who've walked through our doors. I, I've seen people walk in and they're, they're discouraged and they don't know where hope is and uh, maybe they attended church when they were a child, they checked out, maybe they were in high school, they came back to church in their 20s or early 30s and wow, you know, their faith began to be reignited here at Forest Park and they couldn't get enough of the music and they couldn't get enough of the teaching and they're taking notes and they're so excited and they sign up for this team and they sign up for that team and they go with us on mission outreaches and, you know, they just do everything and then I watch that person's life over a period of time go slowly downward and they crash. Unfortunately, because nobody uh, taught them that this is normal and that these ups and downs are part of what it means to follow Jesus, many of those people check out. They just quit. They assume something's wrong with them. Their faith wasn't real. Uh, They're not, you know, the kind of person they thought they were. Maybe they're a hypocrite. Maybe they've got too much sin in their life. Or maybe they need another church, kind of like move over here and get new sights and new sounds, and somehow that in and of itself will spark a new faith. And they crave the wonder of their early years, and they're now going, where did it go? And I don't know how to get it back. And, and then they, they, you know, listen, I, I'll admit, I, I have gone through every single one of those experiences and more. And I'm going to tell you, you know, if you've been here for a while, you've heard me say something similar to this. If you think it's hard for you going through that, sitting out there listening to a message, imagine being in that and preaching the message, <laughs> okay? If you think it's difficult when you wake up on a Sunday morning and you say, you know, I don't really feel like going to church today. In fact, I think I'll just go to brunch with my family and stay home. Imagine having that exact same feeling, except you've got to preach the message that day, okay? So, it, it, you know, I've been there, done that, okay? I, I know what that's like. I've been down that road, and I'm going to tell you, it hurts. I mean, sometimes the pain doesn't, you know, it's just not present. It's all-encompassing. It's excruciating. And if I'm describing you right now, I mean, even a little bit, and you are right on the edge of just saying, you know what, I just think I need to check out of this thing. I just don't think faith is for me. I don't think Christianity is for me, you know. Maybe something's wrong with me. Maybe I'm just not, I don't have what it takes or whatever. Um, I want to do the best I can today to help you, okay? I want to do the best I can today to, um, to, to, to help you recapture the wonder of your faith. But I'm probably going to do it a little bit differently that you might be expecting. In other words, I'm not going to do the best I can today to 
hype you up and fill you with emotion. And I'm not going to try my best to get you to feel anything. I'm going to try to get you to learn something, all right? And that's two different camps, completely two different camps, all right? But I'm going to do the best I can. And it all starts here in Matthew 18. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew 18, all right? He says, then he called a little child over to sit among the disciples. Now, before you read on, just listen to me very carefully. This must have been an interesting moment. Jesus is teaching his disciples, and you know, no doubt, he's giving some in-depth teaching. He's opening up uh, their scriptures, what we refer now to as the Old Testament, and he's opening up the prophets, and he's opening up the deep things of God. And then all of a sudden, he calls over this child, and he puts a child right in the middle of the disciples, and he says to his disciples, to these spiritual men and women, to these people who are pursuing faith and following God, he says, I assure you, in other words, you listen to me very carefully. I promise you this. I assure you, if you don't turn your lives around and become like this little child, you will definitely not enter the kingdom of heaven. That must have been shocking when they first heard it. Like this little child. Guys, I know you're in the deep things and you're studying prophecy and you're wondering, am I really the Messiah? And you've been waiting for the Messiah and, you know, all these things are going on in your life. And some of you have given up your jobs to follow me and you, you've thrown the nets down and you no longer are fishing for fish. You're fishing for men and you're following me. But I want to tell you something. If you don't become like one of these children, you're never going to receive. You're never going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now notice what he did not say, and this is very important because I'm going to come back to this a little bit later. He did not say childish faith. He said childlike faith, like a child. Childish faith is immature faith, chasing experiences and emotions, whining and crying when you don't get your way. Childlike faith is filled with wonder, Childlike faith is filled with curiosity. Childlike faith asking questions. That's one of the marks of a child, right? How does this work? How does that work? Why'd you say that? Why'd you say that? Why are you going there? Why are you going there? What's going on over here? What's on TV? What can I watch? What can I try? Can I get this food? Can I get that food? That's childlikeness. It's a desire to learn. It's a desire to sit at the feet of people smarter and devour the information and grow. That's childlike Faith. And there's a huge difference between childish faith and childlike faith. So how do we recover a childlike faith while we are living in an adult body with adult problems and adult questions and adult issues? Here's a little bit of what I've learned, okay? I'm just going to deposit this into you today, and hopefully it will help you, all right? When this happens, what? This crashing and burning. This, this divot, this darkness, this sense of where's God, this euphoria absent, this wonder that has faded away. When it happens, and it will, it will, it will happen many times throughout your spiritual journey. When it happens, there are typically two responses, typical uh, two ways people typically respond when those happen. The first way is to resign. You just say, you know what, I'm done, I give up. I, my faith was probably just emotional, uh, it's not fact-based, and you just walk away from faith entirely. Or you just give up on your church, you give up on your community group, you give up on the people you're doing life with, and you just go, you know what, I'm just done. I call this a, a, a spiritual midlife crisis. 
You go through this midlife crisis of your faith, and you're just looking for something new. It comes from the same place that we see people who go, you know what, I think I need a new husband, I need a new wife, I need a new job. The grass is greener over there. I think I'll go over there, and if I get over there, I'll experience something new. And I see that with, with those who follow Christ. I think I need a new church. I think I need a new group. I think I need a new this. And if I can just get into something new, it'll stir the wonder up again. It's a resignation. That's the first response. I'm not going to get into that any more than just mentioning it. We'll maybe get into that in another series. But rather than resigning, I want to spend the rest of this message on the second response. And this is what I want you to do. Rather than resign, I want you to relearn. I want you to relearn. Here's what I've observed, okay? Here's where we're going to get a little deep. All right, so you're gonna, I'm going to take you down into the water, all right, and you're going to go, I don't know if I can breathe, and then I'll bring you up just right before you die, okay? <laughs> all right, I'm just going to hold you there just, just for a few minutes, and then all of a sudden, you know. All right, here's the deal. When you run up against a spiritual wall and clouds cover over you or, you know, your spiritual engine is not firing on all cylinders, it's not that something's wrong with you. Listen very carefully. It's that our knowledge of God, faith, spiritual growth, truth, the Bible, whatever you want to put on the list, is insufficient for the season we're currently in. And our knowledge is being stretched to its limit. And that tension between what we're experiencing and what we know is painful. That's what's happening. And I've seen it over and over and over again in my life. My faith is here. My knowledge is here. My concept is here. My understanding of God is here. My perspective on God is here. But I'm going through something that has never challenged this perspective before. And that tension between what I'm experiencing and where I am is experienced as pain. And it's in that tension, it's in that pain, a lot of people resign. They quit. And instead of quitting, what I want to happen is I want to teach you some things so that your knowledge and perspective can catch up with your experience. And if somehow that tension can turn into you growing, then the wonder returns. Okay? So what I want to help you with is relearning. Now you say, relearn what? I want you to relearn faith. What do you mean relearn faith? What faith is, what faith is not. Some of us have a very warped understanding of what faith is. I want you to relearn God, who he is, who he's not. I want you to relearn the Bible, what the scripture are actually saying versus what people say the scriptures say. I want you to relearn wonder, learn again what it means to be enthralled with your faith again. You're going to teach us all that in this verse, in this sermon? No. It is a process that happens over your entire life. Okay? Relearning happens over and over and over and over again. As you grow, your wonder grows with you, or it should. But here's the catch. Relearning begins with unlearning. And unlearning is the most painful part. Let me explain my journey with God to you, okay? And um, I'm taking literally like 30 years. I'm going to condense it down to like a minute or two, okay? Here's what my faith journey has looked like, all right? 
I got to a place in my life where I understood and knew God. And if you would have asked me about God, I would have given you answers. I would have told you what I think and what I believe. And wonder was just floating all around me. I was on a high. Then my knowledge and understanding of God crashed. I went through something that tested every single bit of my knowledge and perspective of God. And when that happened, wonder died. Then I gained new knowledge and a new understanding of God. And guess what happened? Wonder returned. And then I carried that with me for a long time until I went through something else that tested my knowledge and perspective of God and wonder died again. Then new, new knowledge and perspective and understanding of God emerged. And when it did, new wonder was born again and again. My entire life has literally looked like this. Birth, death, resurrection. Birth, death, resurrection. Now what's interesting is that pattern is found everywhere. John 12, 24, unless a grain of wheat falls and dies, it remains single seed, but if it dies, it produces many seeds. It takes death to produce new life. So we see the cycle of birth, death, and resurrection in every single area. It's built into nature itself. The birth, death, and resurrection cycle is everywhere within creation, and it serves as a constant reminder that in order to move to the next level, a better level, a greater level, a deeper level, a resurrected level, death to what you know is required. And what I've learned is a lot of people quit in the middle of the cycle, or I should say at the bottom of the cycle. When they begin to feel their faith getting sick, when they hear the death rattle in their faith, they quit, they run, they change, and they lose the wonder of a renewed, expanded, and more beautiful faith. Because as your understanding and concept of God expands, so will your wonder. But if your understanding and concept of God remain the same, wonder will eventually dry up and float away. Are you tracking with what I'm saying? Thank you, Deb. I say it like this, when curiosity outpaces perspective, wonder fades. What do I mean by that? I mean that when your curiosity about things in life outpaces your perspective of life, that tension, if you remain in there too long, wonder just goes out the window. Maybe this will help. Little Johnny is 12 months old, and little Johnny is bored with sitting on the floor. So little Johnny stands up. And when little Johnny stands up, he, his eyes are as this big and he is filled with wonder for he sees the living room and the house from a whole different perspective. It only takes standing up to fill him with wonder. Little Johnny is 18 months old now. Little Johnny's been standing for months. He's bored with standing. So little Johnny starts walking. Now that little Johnny is walking, he can see things he couldn't see before. And all of a sudden, his whole world is filled with wonder again. But after months, Johnny's been walking for a while, and he's kind of bored with walking. So it takes a little bit more to fill him with wonder. So now little Johnny walks over, and he sees a doorknob, and he reaches up and takes a hold of the doorknob. And guess what? Johnny is filled with wonder again. Why? Because he doesn't know what's behind that door. 
And he opens it, and he's filled with wonder. But after a few months of opening doors, that's not enough for Johnny anymore. So now Johnny's got to explore every single room, and eventually it will be so much, he's got to get outside the house and then outside the yard, and then eventually Johnny's building houses. But imagine if Johnny never stood up. The wonder of life would be gone. That's what I see happening in people sitting in churches. They get older, but their perspective never changes, and the wonder fades. Do you see what's happening? As Johnny gets older, his perspective has got to keep up with his curiosity. He needs a more robust perspective of faith in God and Scripture to satisfy his curiosity. Eventually, he's got to touch the doorknob. Eventually, he's got to explore the house. Eventually, he's got to move into the world. Increasing wonder requires expanding perspective. An expanding perspective requires the cycle of birth, death, and resurrection. And no other book in Scripture, in my opinion, speaks to everything that I'm saying better than the book of Job. Everything that I've said so far is tucked away in the book of Job. In fact, I encourage you, when you get a chance to read the book of Job, read the whole thing. If you can sit down and read it from, from the beginning to the end, read it all in one sitting, that'd be great. You might take an hour or so to do that, but just sit down and read the entire book from the beginning to the end. If you've got to break it up in a couple days or so, that's fine. Read it quickly, then go back and read it slowly. What you're going to find is everything that I've talked about so far in this message is all within the story. Now, we don't have time to explain all 40-some chapters of the book of Job, so I'm going to give you all of this incredible, magnificent book very, very quickly. Here's a summary of the book. The book of Job traces the story of a man named Job who loses everything of value to him. He loses his wealth, he loses his health, he loses his family. And most of the story is a conversation between Job and his three friends who argue about why Job is suffering and they conclude that it must be due to sin in Job's life. Don't you just love friends like that? How many of you have friends? like? Don't, don't lift your hand on that one. But you've got those people who come around when things in your life are bad and they want to blame you for it or they want to blame somebody else for it. Don't you just love friends like that? Those are the friends that come around Job. And most of the book of Job is this conversation between Job and these three friends. And then another character in the book is named Elihu. And Elihu enters the picture and he suggests that Job needs to become more humble. And God finally answers Job at the end of the book of Job and offers no explanation to Job as to why he's suffering. And the book ends with God restoring everything Job lost. It's a fascinating story. Now, let's get into some of the details of this, and we're going to draw some wisdom out of this, some lessons out of this, and then we're going to go, okay? At the beginning of the story, Job is living in a perpetual state of wonder. His life is up and to the right in every single area. He is successful. He is wealthy. He has great health. He has a large family. Job's life is gold. And we are told that he sacrifices in worship every single day. What does that tell you? That tells you he likes life and he likes God and he likes his relationship with God. His perspective is a particular kind. He has a unique perspective on the world, the universe, God, everything. Then suddenly, everything Job enjoys is ripped from him. He loses his family, his home, his business, and ends up sitting in the ashes of his home covered in boils. So even his health is taken away. 
In a matter of moments, nothing in the universe operates as Job expected. Have you ever had anything in your life that has disrupted your concept of the universe? Have you ever had anything come into your life and disrupt the flow of everything going on and you thought you understood the world and you thought you understood how everything happened and then all of a sudden something happens and you go, maybe I don't understand how things work. Maybe I don't understand myself, my friends, my family. I don't understand God. That's what happened here with Job. And here's where his friends enter into the story. They gather around Job, and they're like, Job, your life sucks, and I, it's horrible to be you. And you must have offended God. You must have sinned. You must have done something. Because God, they, their concept of God, God doesn't allow things like this to happen in an innocent person's life. It must only happen in those who have sinned, who have done something wrong. And Job is just, he is confused he's grieving in fact the story tells us that Job even wishes he was dead he's suicidal he wouldn't take his own life but he wishes he were dead Job becomes further agitated as you read the story he gets angry he's weeping he's begging for death he begins to question God's wisdom you ever been there he begins to question the truth of God ever been there the ways of God, have you ever been there? Whether God pays him any attention, how merciful God really is. And he should have been so merciful that he never even let Job be born. That's what Job says. Cursed is the day that I even came into this world. If you really loved me, if you really cared for me, you would blot out my birthday. You would have never even allowed me to have been born. Now here's where many of us are. Now you're not in that depth of despair. You might be, I don't know. Somebody watching may very well be right there. But Job is at this very dark place. You might not be at that level, but you are at this place where you feel abandoned, you feel lost, you feel disappointment, you're questioning God, you're questioning all of life. And it is during these decisions we make some of the most un, excuse me, it's during these moments we make some of the most unwise decisions. It's when you're down here and your whole world has been flipped upside down. It's when you're down here and everything is dark. It's when you're down here and you don't feel God. It's when you're down here and scriptures do not make sense to you. It's when you're down here and your friends come around and blame you for everything you've done. It's in those moments you go, I'm done with marriage. I'm done with job. I'm done with God. I'm done with, I'm going to go back to my addiction. I'm going to go back to my hobby. I'm going to go back. I'm going to run over here. I'm going to make, I'm going to borrow a bunch of money because that'll make me feel better. We make some of the worst decisions of our lives when we're down here. So that's the whole book of Job right there until, the, until we get to this point. That's the bulk of the book. And then God shows up. And he begins to question Job because God, Job has been questioning God all this time. Then God shows up and questions Job. He questions his knowledge. He questions his experience. He questions his wisdom. God asks questions like this of Job. Hey, Job, since you're so knowledgeable, I'm paraphrasing this. Since you're so knowledgeable, Job, um, tell me this. Where, where were you when I laid the plans of the earth out? How, how exactly do I suspend the planets in space? How does that work? Where do I keep the snow? Where do I keep the rain? How, how do I bring the sun up every morning and, and set it down every night? How do I bring the cool weather in it in the evenings and then the warmth of the day? Where do I hide all the animals at night? How does all that work, Job, since you know so much? Well, he goes through all these questions to Job, and Job's overwhelmed. I mean, he had never asked these questions. Job had never even thought to ask these questions. Why? Because his perspective was down here, 
God's asking questions up here. So here's what I learned. I didn't tell the first service this, so this is bonus, okay? When you begin to grow, one of the first things that I notice in people's lives is you ask different questions. You ask better questions. See, some of us are asking the same questions we asked when we were kids about God. But we are living in an adult world. And the questions we're asking isn't satisfying us because we're children in our faith and we're adults in the world. And we've created this distance. Job starts asking, God starts asking Job better questions that Job had even thought of to ask. And Job realizes that he actually knows very little. And he's actually very shallow. And this is, this is probably, I'm, I mean, I'm skipping so much because of time. And this is probably, the, the, to me, this is my favorite part of the book of Job, this, this verse that I'm going to quote, these verses I'm going to quote. After God gets finished questioning Job, here's how Job responds. This is in Job chapter 42. This is Job talking back to God after God questions him. He says, I know you can do anything. So I'm going to put a few words in this to help you context of this. God, I know you can do anything. No plan of yours can be opposed successfully. You said, God, you said to me, who is this darkening counsel? Say those next two words with me out loud, I underline, without knowledge. So Job said, God said to Job, Job, who, who are you to question me when you don't even have any knowledge? See, you can be a blessed person without knowledge. You can have a beautiful home like Job without knowledge. You can have a wonderful family without knowledge. You can be blessed of God without knowledge. You can worship every day without knowledge. You have some knowledge, but your knowledge is very immature. So God says to Job, Job, who, who are you to come to me and question me without knowledge? Then Job is speaking again, and he says, I have, he's speaking to God, I have indeed spoken about things I didn't understand. Wonders beyond my comprehension. Job says to God, Job, God, you said, listen, and I will speak. I will question you, and you will inform me. My ears had heard about you, but now my eyes have seen you. Basically, what Job is saying is you were a rumor to me before. Now you're up close. I'd heard about you in the distance. My friends told me about you. The church told me about you, bringing into the modern world. People talked about you. I didn't understand you. I thought I understood you, but I didn't understand you. You were out there in the distance before. Now you are up close. And now that I see you for who you really are, here's my response. Therefore, I relent and find comfort on dust and ashes. Job experiences a fresh, new, deeper revelation of God. And by the end of this magnificent book, Job has an altered perspective on God. In essence, Job's faith expands, and what emerges is a new understanding of himself, his friends, his universe, his God, and his place in all of that. But it required a death of an earlier, inferior, more hollow understanding of God himself, his friends, the universe, and his place in the universe. Folks, listen to me. I'm going to give you a bunch of wisdom wrapped up in one sentence. There is no resurrection to new life without death to the old one. All right, let me bring it home, okay? When you first come to faith, all things are new. 
God and Scripture, and it's all exciting, and you can't get enough. It's because your concept of God and Scripture and all things religious is quite simple and thin. It's Johnny standing up. And you're just filled with wonder. Look at all of this. I'm so excited. Then life happens. Marriage happens. Kids happen. Can I get an amen, moms, on Mother's Day? Health crisis happens. Financial problems happen. And everything comes unraveled. Or does it? Now, I'm going to go really, we're going to take a deep dive, and it's only going to be about a minute. We're going to close in just a second, okay? And I hope I can explain this really well. I'm going to do my best. Often what we call an unraveling in our life, a coming apart. My faith is coming apart. My life is coming apart. My emotions are coming apart, spiritually speaking. All of these things are coming apart. They're not actually coming apart. It's that you are being asked to align with reality. And the tension between where you are and truth is creating some real pain. You see, our inferior knowledge and limited perspective are out of line with what's true, with what's real. And the more out of line, the more tension, and the more tension, the more pain. And sometimes the snap from where you are to where you need to be hurts. Anybody make make sense to anybody? Maybe this will help. When you discovered the truth about this character, it was difficult, wasn't it? It was painful. Did you just find out? Is that the problem? Okay. Okay. It was difficult. It was painful. It was confusing. Your perceived reality was ripped apart, but your world did not unravel. You merely stepped unwillingly at first, into a better understanding of reality. Your knowledge, when you were six years old, did not match truth. Listen, it wasn't that he didn't exist. He did. You see, there was a man who gave gifts to poor children named St. Nicholas, and your parents and family give gifts now, and someone eats the cookies every year. So the gifts and love and surprises are all real, but your understanding grew up. Your perspective and knowledge caught up with reality. Nothing came unraveled. Your perspective shifted, and the shifting is painful, but this was always true. Anybody tracking with what I'm saying? And the wonder and love and giving and exchanging gifts and decorating the tree and all things Christmas are now richer and deeper and better than ever. But imagine a 40-year-old who never grew up and continues to see Christmas like a Dr. Seuss book. What would you think of him or her? This, This is at a risk of offending people right now. That's how I see a lot of Christians today. 
their concept of God and the Bible and faith and salvation and all things religious are about the same as it was when they were six years old. For some people sitting in this room, for some people watching online, your God is the same God as he was in children's church when you were about that tall. He's never grown up. Your concept is still back there. That's childish faith, not childlike faith. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3. Brothers and sisters, you like spiritual people, but like unspiritual people, babes in Christ. I gave you milk to drink instead of solid food because you were not up to it yet. In fact, you're still not up to it because you are still unspiritual. Folks, these are people who listen to Paul preach, and they're unspiritual. They went to church every weekend, and they were unspiritual. They listened to the original authors of the New Testament, and Paul calls them unspiritual. There's levels, and some of us have never moved. Let me give you another one, Hebrews chapter 6. So let's press on to what? Maturity, by moving on from the basics about Christ's word. There are things in the Bible that are basics. It's time for you to move on. Some of us are stuck still on the basics. Let's not lay a foundation of turning away from dead works of faith in God, of teaching about ritual ways to wash with water, laying on of hands. He's going through a list of all the things he considers to be basics. Resurrection from the dead. He calls that basic. We're like, that's pretty mature to me. I know, he calls it basic, eternal judgment. He says that's basic. Let's move on beyond these basics. The tension between what we know and what we experience, huge. And it's tension. Last one, we're going to go. Paul says all of us, all of us, all of us, all of us are looking with unveiled faces at the glory of the Lord as if we're looking in a mirror. Oh, that's so deep. It's, I don't have time to get into that. It's beautiful. Watch this. We are being transformed into that same image from one degree of glory to the next degree of glory. I love that translation to see one degree of glory to the next degree of glory. Do you see the progression? Get off milk onto meat. Leave the basics behind. Go from one degree of glory to the next degree, to the next degree, to the next degree. So much of the friction we experience in life, the questions, the pains, the confusions, the doubts, the disappointments, the tragedies, we would experience completely differently if we had a new perspective rather than transforming the situation, we transform the person. And when your perspective changes, your experience changes. When you grow up, so many of the problems of life fade away and wonder returns. Our band's going to close us in a song and then I'm going to come back and dismiss you. Father, fill us with wonder again. But it's not an emotion that I'm asking for. I'm asking you to expand our heart, expand our minds, expand our concept. 
from one degree of glory to the next. Move away from the milk and onto meat. Get us out of the basics of the faith and into more deeper things so that the wonder can always be present. Teach us to walk in this world in the wild wonder that you've created. Teach us to walk around and see the wonder of the gospel and the wonder of Jesus and the wonder and the beauty in every single person we encounter. God, help us grow up and move into reality. In his name we pray, amen. Hey guys, if you'll stand and worship with